0: Welcome to the Not Your Average My podcast, where four Hmong American women working to move our community forward, one conversation at a time.
1: So tune in every month with Liz, my Nia, Monica, and Katie as we dive into politics, pop culture, and all things related to being Hmong American.
2: Let's get it!
3: Welcome back, viewers. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed our May Clips, we know, it was a really long episode, so we will be more mindful of that. We wanted to make sure we answered all of your questions. Um, but for May, we thought it would make sense to talk about Asian Pacific uh, Heritage Month and what that means to us. Uh, May was first des- designated permanently as APAM uh, in 92 by President H.W. Bush. And this was a huge development after... Um, only a week long designation in 1978 by um, big like a, a Japanese American giants like then Congressman Norman Mineta and Senators Dan Inouye and Spark uh, Matsunaga. So you know from this, like we we understand that May was chosen because it commemorates the arrival of the first Japanese immigrants to the United States on May seventh, 1843, and it, it also. Um, marks the anniversary of the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad on May 10th, 1869. A side note, um, we celebrated the 150th anniversary of the Chinese immigrants who were the majority of folks who actually laid the tracks uh, just last year in 2019. So, um, you know, while we're not sure that the selection of May as as a month to celebrate, um, you know, Asian Americans actually took into consideration our community, but we know May 14th is when... Hmong folks in Minnesota celebrate Hmong American Day, um, and other states have, you know, decided to pass bills proclaiming May fifteenth as Hmong American and Lao Veterans Day to commemorate um, the contributions um, and sacrifices of folks like Jonathan Powell and a lot of our uncles um, during the Secret War. So, based on all of these dates, um, do we fit in with API history and APAM?
0: Um, I mean, I think initially off the bat. APAM is obviously very East Asian, right? Um, It's always been very East Asian. It's, um, and I think it was only up until recently when uh, Asian America really tried to be more inclusive of, you know, the Pacific Islander side, the Southeast Asian side, the South Asian side of Asian America, if that makes sense. So I think traditionally, no, like, you know, APAM really wasn't for us, but as our community like integrated in it, Asian America. And as we started making our own place here. Yeah, I do think that like, even if it's not, um, you know, if it wasn't traditionally made for us, it certainly is our history, our month, and we should definitely celebrate it just like every other Asian American, right? And that's, I mean, clearly in Minnesota, you know, the majority of Asian Americans are among Americans. So we made it our own, right? We made, mm. we integrated ourselves in that APAM month. So uh, why shouldn't we celebrate it? But I do think Asian America has to do better and should do better. <laughs> with including us and including, you know, uh, more, uh, Asian American groups.
2: Katie, what do you think as an educator? No, I agree with Monica. I'm a hundred percent aligned with what she thinks that, um, you know, like not until recently have we included, um, our own cultures into this and being as part of the education system, you know, like finally people now are talking about like, Oh, okay. So what are we doing in May? You know, it's like, are we reading more children's book of, you know, Asian heritage? I'm like, yes, why not? You know? And like, these are teachers who have been teaching for quite a while and they feel that it's still like mm-hmm. a really new thing to them. But of course, you know, I mean, like we try to be cult- culturally relevant all year round. And like, I'm like, if this is the month for it, why mm-hmm. not highlight it?
3: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Got it. But I mean, well, can we I just want to go back to something that Monica was saying, how, um, you know, this is very East Asian centered. Um, I mean, how is this how does this apply to, you know, some of our our representation when, um, you know, we see a lot of like East Asian stars and movies and films? I mean, like, do you see yourselves in these people? I mean,
0: yes and no. I don't know how others feel, but for myself, like, for example, when Crazy Rich Asians came out, like, obviously, you know, it was a huge milestone for the Asian American community. And Mm -hmm. even though that story wasn't my story, or was it reflective of all Asian Americans or reflective of my own upbringing, like, it was still something to be uh, celebrated and something uh, that I thought was really significant for the Asian American movement, right? Like. Because Crazy Rich Asians was the first, what, all Asian-American cast and movie that aired in Hollywood since the Joy Luck Club, right? There was like a 20-year span. It was fucking crazy. And so while those stories are, of course, you know, not ideal and very East Asian-centric, there are still a lot of wins to see, to be celebrated, right? Um, all these new and upcoming Asian-American actors and actresses, right, highlighting the different nuances of... Uh, Asian American culture right where you see Rachel Chu as the Asian American girl or the Chinese American girl who didn't doesn't have a lot versus like the Asian Asians who like have hello money right um <laughs> the
3: yeah I mean I, I don't know I don't but know what how... does it mean to be Asian Asian then right so, like what
0: are you saying Monica well I'm saying the the Asian Asians are like Asian people from like Asian from Asia right from Asian countries mm. and Asian Americans are distinct in that we have that um you know, Asian American identity where we didn't get to grow up in an Asian majority country, right? We grew up in white America, yeah. right? And yeah. so we have to balance our dual identities of being Asian uh, and being American. And then also, you know, being Hmong or being like a uh, Pacific Islander or being like Indian or being like an even more like minority within a minority group that like no one knows about.
3: Um, yeah, I, I think though the I wanted to add to that, like right, the reason why people left their home countries is because they were poor and they were seeking better economic opportunities, right? And so, right, like if you stayed in Singapore, right, and you're Asian Asian, that's because you were comfortable enough, right? Like the system worked for you. That's kind of also what I I, I, I like, I think, right? Like that's why um what's Rachel's boyfriend's name again?
2: Nick. Nick. Hello. Nick. Come hey, on. Yes, oh yes, god,
3: Nick. <laughs> Yes, I mean, and, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not right. my boyfriend, clearly. Okay. But I mean,
0: <laughs> and, and I don't know about others, but yeah, like, even though, you know, like I was saying, those stories weren't exactly, um, you know, my stories, like there were many themes that still resonated with me, right? Like mm-hmm. being the girlfriend, having to impress the family, right? Or, you know, always being um, worried about what your in-laws are going to think about you. Because that's a lot of what What Rachel Chu struggled with. And I I felt that. I felt that coming from, like, you know, a very poor working class, like Hmong family, you know, with my and dating my boyfriend, who is, you know, of a different class, clearly just had a different upbringing than me. Okay.
3: So, Yeah, I want to bring you in. Yeah. (laughs)
1: So, um, going back to what Liz, you said about the immigration, like why people come here. So, looking at immigration history, there are different reasons why people come here. Like, if you look at, you know, Filipino nurses, they were brought for their labor, Mm. right, for their skill sets, Um, for, you know, even just looking at, like, Asians coming to the U.S. for college. Well, they have money, so they're able to come here. So I don't want to send the message that only poor folks from Asia came out, came to the U.S., right? So, like, just want to put that out there. I agree with Monica in that, you know, with representation, it's important that we should be able to tell whatever story we want to tell about asian American, and i that's what i appreciated about crazy rich asians i think for me representation like does rep- does any represent representation matter for me it's about what representation right like if it's, if it's a story that isn't um doesn't provide depth it's really hard for me to be like hey like that that is such a great story to be told about Asian America. Um, so I'm gonna say two things. So um, I don't know if you all watched the movie Tiger Tail on yes, Netflix. Yes, yes I, yes. I actually loved that movie, although I felt like a lot of people didn't like yes, it focused on a Taiwanese family, but I thought it was just so great that they were able to show the story about like an Asian American dad and the daughter, right? Because a mm-hmm. lot of times that relationship yes. doesn't get told. Yes. And yep. I saw my dad in that character. He, he can't even process his emotions or even process his own trauma to have a relationship with his daughter. So for me, yes, like that's not a Hmong family, but I saw so many similarities within, yep. uh, within that relationship. But anyway, and then going back to like, does representation matter for me? Like Andrew Yang being a <laughs> candidate? Yes. And and I wanted to, ask you about race, to me, I'm like, you know, his representation mattered to some people, but it didn't to me because I felt like he didn't see color at the end of the day. And he wanted to not even talk about his Asian American identity. And that's when I have an issue with that type of representation.
3: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I think maybe we can unpack this a little bit more because right throughout his campaign, he was your, trying to be your typical t- stereotypical Asian guy, though, right? That's why he had the math hats, right? And he kept saying, oh, like, I can do math. And then he put out this, like, crazy op-ed that just reflects the privilege that he grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I know you had some hot takes on that. And yeah, do you share I your mean, thought?
1: you know, I, I think what I appreciated about him was that he was one of the first, right, like, Asian-American candidates that Hmong men or Hmong guys could relate to. And they were – they wanted to be engaged in the in the political process. And I think that's what he ignited within the Hmong-American community. Um, however – Sometimes I'm like, am I being too harsh on Asian Americans? I don't know. Like, do I, am well, I, no, but am I, think I, I think that's more? a valid question.
3: I think that's a valid question, but also then, but why quint the Hmong men like get behind Kamala Harris? She's an <laughs> yep, Asian woman too, exactly. right? So, like, yeah, right? Like, but there's some criticism problem. there too, though. I will say yeah. there's
0: some criticism behind Kamala Harris's like Asian Americanness too, which is unfair in that, in its own separate conversation. But I think, yeah, to my point, like, The one thing I do appreciate about Andrew Yang is that he was able to, you know, mobilize and, um, you know, like, energize this base, this community that was never politically involved before. As shitty as that does sound, like, Mm -hmm. uh, we can't deny the fact that, yeah, Asian Americans were um energized because they finally saw someone that looked like them mm-hmm. and sometimes it is really basic that basic right we know we talk about identity politics all the time like monk people will rally around anyone who's Mong. like you know who's this. running for office yeah, yeah.
3: but yeah hey, i think his last name helped though i'm just saying like if he yes. were like a chin or a chen right there may be some weird like anti-communist sentiments right just because i know right like other there's some people who are who still hate communists but it's because his last name was yang and we have a lot of yang Like I think that helps
1: him too. I'm just saying but okay, so I my my hot take on him is that I needed more death from him, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's yeah when you have a platform like that, you need to use it to your advantage and you need to be so thoughtful about what you're saying to people. When people asked him in interviews about his identity and what it meant, I felt like he should have been, you know what, it is so important to be an Asian American candidate in the presidential race. I didn't hear that about, you know, from him at all. And I felt like he always wanted to be like, I'm colorblind, I don't see color, I'm running as a candidate who cares about these issues just as any other candidates. And I think that is fair. I think that's fair. But for me, I'm like, you can't erase your Asian American identity no matter how much you want to. And I think he wasn't that representative in terms of the experiences that I wanted him to talk about as well, right? Like, yes, these are not your experiences, but you still need to acknowledge um, the diversity within the Asian American um, experience in, in this country. And I didn't get that from him. And that, yes. that was a disappointment yes. disappointment for me because you have poor Hmong folks, you have these people from very disadvantaged communities wanting to be engaged. And if you can't even talk about the diversity of Asian America, how are you going to talk about the diversity of America in general if you are the president of the U.S.? Mm-hmm.
3: So I think this brings me to the next, mm-hmm. my next point where I think... Um, Wanted to know, do you guys think maybe he turned on and off um, being Asian-American, right? Like he he played being the Asian guy when he wanted to be and then maybe tried to blend in and be white because, you know, that's also very easy for Asian people to do. Yeah. Hell where yeah. They, where they appear in the, in the racial hierarchy, you know, if you believe in that philosophy. Yeah.
2: I, yeah. I mean, I agree. And I think a lot of, you know, just like Asian-American people, we do that without... Noticing too, we, you know, minimize Mm -hmm. and we marginalize Mm -hmm. ourselves to fit in because, you know, it's always, we've always been brought up to where like you need to blend in, you need to fit in, you need to do this. So it is sort of hard. And I think that he just went like overboard with that. He could have represented a whole better person and a whole better identity. But I don't I'm, I don't know him personally, but I feel that he has his own identity issues to deal with, you know, like, oh, we're you're be right. nice. Yeah. No, so, I mean, true. like, yes. I I mean, yes. like, you know, it's like, I think it's a we, journey. right? Like, yeah. So like, I mean, it's, it's something that we like seen and have, you know, done, but like, he's on this pedestal. So we all see it, you know, like we see him through the, mm-hmm. you know, like actually the live events, like of it going on. Unlike us, you know, sometimes we do like I I can honestly admit that I've done it too you know it's like you know like being you know when I moved away from Minnesota me and Matt was like the only Hmong people and they were like what are you who are you you know like do you speak another language and I guess we do and stuff but like if my if I wasn't relevant in the conversation about like my culture I didn't talk about it you know and I didn't I mean like and that's something that I sort of regret coming back in and being (laughs) a teacher I'm like you know like I really put myself behind to fit in but in order to be like more you know, culturally responsive to my students and to everyone else, I need to highlight my own good. I need to be um, comfortable with my own identity before we can even talk about these race issues.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a valid point too. And and I guess, you know, what some of the supporters of Andrew Yang may claim, right? Or like it, like, but I don't the issues him, though, that Andrew Yang
3: faced.
2: Put that out there. Let's put that out there. <laughs> yes,
3: that out there. <laughs> I agree. His immigration policies were awful for Southeast Asians. But sorry um Monica you were saying
0: um
3: what was I saying
0: I no I was just saying yeah I I echo Katie in that I think um a, a lot of Asian Americans do struggle with that right and then how we like switch on and off and like sometimes we do it unconsciously to to benefit ourselves right or or we do it out of survival right kind of like what Katie was saying like our parents came here and they just immediately needed to um to integrate themselves right into assimilate, which a lot of the time spent either, yeah, uh, not not talking about your culture yourself or, or whatever. So maybe if I'm getting if I'm giving Andrew Yang the benefit of the doubt, like he's just subconsciously has done that to get through, to get through life, which is really shitty.
1: Mm-hmm. Um I mean, but- I, I don't blame I don't blame our parents. I don't blame, you know, like first, second generations of Asian immigrants in the US, right? Because even mm-hmm even when we look at Japanese-Americans, like the fourth, fifth generation, they don't, they can't speak Japanese, but it's because their parents and grandparents had no choice but to not speak Japanese, to not be persecuted, to not be, you know, like attacked, especially during, you know, the World War (laughs) II era. So I I don't blame for why we, we as an Asian-American community have lost our culture in certain ways. Um, I will have to say though, that my problem with folks like Andrew Yang. I'm not just going to target him. It's more like people, you know, yes, you're on your own journey in terms of coming to terms with your identity as an Asian American or whatever else you want to identify. But at the same time, you can't, like we can never escape from race. Like we can never escape from our racial identity or ethnic identity. And no matter how far you go in life, whether you become a wealthy Asian American, whether you have a college degree, whether you live in a nicer, safer neighborhood, Your racial identity will always be there because that's what people will see. And that doesn't prevent you from getting attacked or that doesn't prevent you from experiencing racism. So for me, it's more of like, okay, how do you have these conversations about? race about racism while also acknowledging your identity as an asian american right like you can never escape from that no matter where you live that's what people will see so for me like the burden shouldn't be on asian americans to to stand up and to fight against racism it's really white american also owning that part and mm-hmm. doing what they can do to stop racism against minorities of color right so for me it's always like why is it always the burden on the people who are being attacked to stand up for themselves and to be like, hey, I'm an American too. Like, we know that, right. you know, when Japanese Americans enlisted in, in the war to fight for their country, they still experienced racism when they came back. Like, it wasn't entirely fair for them. So, I don't know. It's it's yeah. lots of opinions there. Lots of emotions. Yeah. No, no
3: I mean, this, this op-ed was incredibly, like, Disrespectful and. Can you
0: share some more context, like in, in case our listeners. Yeah, yeah.
3: I'm I'm going to go into it right now, especially in in these times of COVID, because he started it by <laughs> saying, "Oh, like I was uh shopping at the grocery store and I felt all of these eyes on me, right?" But I was like, I think this, again, like he, I also he's a very selfish person that he can't see beyond himself, and this is why, like his his policies like did not see beyond just East East Asians, right? Because he was just like, well, you know. um you know, I I felt this, I I felt this pressure, and I've never felt it before. um, But maybe like, I just have to try harder. And I was like, well, that doesn't show like, all of the Asian businesses that have been vandalized and like damaged, who now have all of these like debts to, to incur when they renovate, who are, you know, providing free food for health workers and like first responders, right? Like, trying to be even more American Mm -hmm. is is not going to stop that, right? Because like, people aren't going to check to see, oh, like, what have you done recently? That's good, right? Um, and and I also want to point out, I mean, because um, he cites the Japanese-Americans who, like, decided to go to war during World War II um, for the United States, um, you know, and that's also, like, really insulting, right? And so the Japanese-American Citizens League put out um, a statement. And so, I don't know, like, I, I, I think we've given Andrew Yang too much time because clearly he's not worth our time. But I, I did, I mean, I, I think that I think it's, I, I'm glad we're talking about this because a lot of um, like a lot of our favorite uh, stars of color, you know, kind of like have this issue, and like a lot of us have also gone through this personal journey, right? And so, you know, I think on the other end, right, like how much, um, you know, just like I hope how everyone has forgiven themselves, like how much, you know, um, should we forgive our stars? Like maybe people like Brenda Song who are Hmong, but um, you know, maybe don't claim their heritage enough, right? Like, I think that's also something that we should explore. Like, if you've forgiven yourself, like, well, I mean, can you do it for somebody else? I'm not going to ask you to forgive Andrew Yang.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that's a tough question though, right? Because it's like what Mania was alluding to earlier, when you have that amount of privilege and fame and sort of the platform to elevate these issues, but you don't, like you're doing a disservice, not only to yourself, but to the community. And yeah, I don't think that can be forgiven. Right. I mean, and it's, it's, it's a tough balance because I know, you know, like there's only so those so few of us. Right. So it's tough to say that that one person bears that responsibility. Right. Um, that like, even though you're the only Asian person in the room, like sometimes I do feel like, they shouldn't be the only sparks person for us, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I I think, I think critics would say, you know, why is Andrew Yang, the only one who has to speak about these issues? Maybe that's why he did it, you know, so I, I think it is tough. But I think for me, ultimately, at the end of the day, if you are afforded that platform, and that amount of power and authority and influence over people, yeah, you better fucking exercise your influence, you know, you better talk about that stuff. Because if you don't, no one else will, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. it that's just how it is, like being the only person in the room, even though we don't want the onus to be on you or to be on ourselves, like if we don't do it, who else is going to do it, right? Yeah. And, and I think like that goes to Brent, the thing with Brenda Song, you know, I, I forget when was this last year when everyone was all up in arms about her not be, like being really upset about not getting casted in Crazy Rich Asians, and then you Because she has love. taken
1: on all of these quote-unquote white roles, right? So they probably, from her assumption, they felt like she wasn't Asian American enough to take part in these roles. My issue with that is like, what makes you think that you should be entitled to just getting- um, Asian role
2: um, uh, cuz you're Asian star.
1: Yeah, right? Like yeah. I, to me I'm I'm like okay, you got to recognize your privilege and that. I don't think that they were assuming that you were not Asian enough because of the roles that you played before. I felt like she was she felt very entitled to even be like, "Oh, I should have gone um uh, a casting call or what 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 do mm-hmm. you call that?"
2: Like a screen read or something. I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. she
1: wanted to read for the part. But I
3: I, want to add to this because I think I thought it was because she thought she was too dark to be considered East Asian. That's what I thought it was. I think there were a lot of issues.
0: No, I just don't think she
2: fits the role.
3: Yeah. I mean, no, no, like, she's not good. She's not yeah. a good actress. Like,
0: we're saying like, her acting skills were just not up to par, but I think there were challenges there, because we were like, yeah, it is, one, if it is true that John Chu, the director, didn't cast her because she wasn't Asian enough, that is hella fucked up, right? Yes. And I think the other challenge was also that, yeah, if she was too dark to be this Asian, East Asian character, even though, like, Singaporeans and, and Malaysians are Southeast Asian, technically, mm-hmm. um, um, like, you know that that's another problematic issue and it's it's an own self but like um i think sorry, i don't know where i'm going with this now i lost my train of thought <laughs> it's okay i don't know
2: um, i just don't think she fit the role i mean like you can't expect to fit every role if it's not meant for you to play you yeah just claim it
1: okay and this is why i'm like she okay this is why i'm like people use their asian american identity only when it benefits them so so you know i i don't have an issue with her Speaking up, I had an issue with her failing entitled. title. Um, also with her, she has been in the spotlight for so long, she could have used her platform to elevate the Asian American community or create more roles for Asian American actors. I didn't really see that from her. But I really liked Calis' woot because, you know, even though we didn't really hear about her, Not much. She was part of the Women's March. She had always spoken out about different issues that women were going through or that folks were going through. So for me, I'm like, she wasn't scared to lose a job, even if she had an opinion. And maybe it's different times compared to how, you know, how I was going to say that. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the one thing I will say and
0: credit to Brenda Song is that she growing up while in Disney Channel like she did do an episode of of herself and her being Hmong and talked about her grandma and like you know how her grandma would like sew Hmong clothes for them for the new year and things uh, so she clearly knows right like she has the access to her Hmong heritage and like her upbringing um whether she chose to talk about it or not I'm not I'm not sure why and and I and again I think I'm gonna you know go back to the, my point earlier that yeah sometimes it is a tough balance for me. Cause I do feel like, you know, just because she's the only Hmong person there, doesn't mean she should always have to talk about her, her Hmongness, right. Or her being Hmong. Um, but I do think, you know, yeah, she does have a responsibility, right. Like what you're saying when, yeah, she should have used her platform, but you know, times were different times are different now. Maybe she'll speak up more now. I don't, I don't know. But, um, you know, I, I think Katie yeah. had a good question earlier, right. It's like, it, it's not more so should Hmong folks claim Brenda Song, it's does she claim us?
3: Well, that's what Kate. That's what is saying, where, like, Brenda Song has not claimed her heritage for a very long time. And so, like, I mean, why is she only being like, hey, like, I'm Asian, I'm, you know, why wasn't I casted, right? Like, when it matters for right, her. Yeah.
0: Um, and, yeah, but know, uh, and- yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I'm oh, sorry. I was just going to say, but I think, you know, playing devil's advocate here like with the way i hate that term i know i fucking hate it too but i'm just saying with the way hollywood works like do you do you expect brenda song to always be waving her asian american flag do you know what i mean like Mm
3: -hmm. yeah no no not at all and and i I I think we also have to get
0: to that point where like i think it's also the societal barriers that have really fucked all of us up like including brenda song
3: yeah. No Yes, I- and, and it's true that like in their industry, right, there are very few parts for just Asian women. And so when there is an Asian woman part, right, like you want to have that, right? Cause that's 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 written for you. Yeah.
1: I don't think that as an as an Asian American or Hong American, you need to be waving the flag all the time, but it's still a part of you and you can't deny yeah. that and you can't yep. just not ever talk about that. So for me, for example, I feel like I didn't yes, I grew up in a very poor community with a lot of mong people but i went to a school with a lot of white and really rich asian americans but for for me i felt like that introduced me to owning up to my identity at such a young age and always mm-hmm. being like no i'm going to be involved in mong club i'm going to be a part of my women's circle i'm going to do a lot of stuff for the mong community because no one is doing that and yeah. i think some people were upset with my post last year when i posted that that, <laughs> posted that <about> Song <laughs> that <thing. laughs> They were kind of like Brenna saw in high school like they couldn't feel comfortable being Hmong when they went to these schools that didn't have a lot of Hmong students so it took them a really long time in their journey to accepting their Hmong identity which I completely get but you just need to own up to that and be okay with your story right like you can't be claiming that oh like I was so into Hmong stuff and Hmong history in high school when you were not you can't be claiming that like, I feel like you need to be authentic and owning up to your story and be like, hey, I was really embarrassed to be Hmong. And I think all of us have a story to tell about being embarrassed, but we were able to own up to that and also share that as part of our history and our i mean, our, our story and our journey of, you know, accepting our Hmong American identity or Asian American identity, right? Like, I think Liz, you mentioned that about and you mentioned that a few times um, about you. I'm like, really proud of you, Manya. Like, I just <laughs> want to say and that. that. I'm so, so proud of you. So, so so, that's like my, I guess that's like just my challenge with, you know, Hmong folks or Asian Americans, right? Like when you have gone through that, you just need to, to own that part of your story, even if it doesn't look pretty, even if it does, if people would judge you, but at least you're being authentic. And no. <laughs> I agree with
2: you, my yeah. It's like, you know, it just you just have to acknowledge it. The sooner you acknowledge that, the better it is, you know, whether it be now, be later or something. But it's like you can't if you're tired of hearing and seeing other people write your story for you, then write Probably. your own damn story, you know? Like acknowledge yourself, go ahead and do it. And, you know, yes, I do feel that, you know our youth and everybody they need to also recognize that and step up to i mean this is part of the identity they can fake it as long as they try to but it will always be there you know and you know i have to say i was pretty active too. you know um asian club president i don't even know if there's asian clubs anymore <laughs> but like
1: you know it's like I think there, there are, are. there, you know, are. there so, are they so, first time. the kids so, are so,
2: okay so, Yeah, so it's like, you know, I mean, like, you have to step up and write your own stories in those schools in high school. Who do you want to be remembered as, you know, it's like, if you're going to want white people to write your story for you, they will surely do it because they have done that all throughout history. But if you want to write your own story, and you want to leave something behind, then you step up to the plate and you do it.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm really impressed you guys were so mature in high school. I mean, I want to say... Um, looking back like I in some ways like I, I am I'm proud of like the journey I've, I've gone on but I'm also very embarrassed about you know where I started like I as a first grader um, you know right so six years old was extremely obsessed with China and like Chinese things right because you know like you grew up watching um, <laughs> yeah. the dub movies right yeah. like, like we watched I mean, Chinese movies, Asian movies and, yeah we had access to see, we always had Asian role models, but they were always Chinese. And I thought China was such a great country because, you know, like they make all these movies, they have all these beautiful girls and like, I want to grow up and have their clothes. And, you know, I, I pretended to be Chinese for a while, right? Because that was also what people told me I was. And that's also what I thought, right, was um, powerful, like something to aspire to, right? And I mean, I think this gets back to the question of, right, like, is, is any represent- is representation good representation? But I think um, the answer to that is, like, everybody needs their own heroes, right? Like, um, all my school projects were about China and their tea, like, from first to, like, fourth grade, right? Um, and then in fifth grade, we had to do our, like, person of the century or the millennia, right, because this it was, is it was the year two thousand. And um, I talked to my dad because I, I trusted him and I believed him. And he said, Liz, you should pick General Vang Pao because of the impact he's made for the Hmong people. <laughs> wow. I'm so really surprised.
0: So, yeah, like, I know, like... so I
3: listened to my dad and I did that. But but the hero that I needed was me more because then like after she ran for office in Minnesota and everything, like all of my, all of my things were about Asian Americans and politics and, and all of that, you know, so... So maybe they're imperfect people um, like Jenna Vang Pao and Mimo. They're definitely imperfect, but like they were my heroes.
1: So when did you start, I guess, like really embracing um, (laughs) like your identity as a Hmong woman, right? As a Hmong girl, because you said that you did so much research and, you know, always looked up to like these Chinese characters or heroes like that. Um, Well,
3: I think... As everyone who grows up in the American public school district, you learn that it is not good to be a communist sympathizer. And so, um, you know, like, as we, I didn't know, that. as we grew up, oh, I really? didn't know that. Because, well, maybe I, it was because I was friends with all the white boys, but they were all like, damn, those fucking communists. And I was like, bitch, I'm not a communist. My uncles died fighting communists. Right. And so, like, I, it. It changed because, right, like, your friends say things like, oh, like, you should be anti-China, like, da-da-da, and, you know, there was a concern of, like, rising China power, and so um, I think that was a little bit of that, but I think I do credit my dad being like, oh, like, General Vang Pao is, like, our person of the century, right, and, like, I wanted to, like, represent him. I don't know, and I, I, I love my dad so much for all the history stuff he's impressed upon me. But I think I I found my identity as a Hmong person first, and it was always very academic because while I could do all of those history projects, I hated Asian club and I didn't want to associate with the you know the kids in Asian club right like so I could very different. Yeah, I was a bad kid. Um, And Liz was never with the Asian kids. Never. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, the white boys who didn't like communism, right? Again. Um, And then I, I actually didn't really embrace my identity as um, a Hmong woman for a very long time until maybe even I went to college and graduated, right? Because my whole life, right? Like, Hmong women were oppressed, um, you know, and and I say that because like, I would always argue with my parents about doing the dishes and like, I wanted fairness in our household chores. Um, you know, and I saw a lot of my cousins get married really young. And so I didn't like being a Hmong woman, right? But I was really proud of my Hmong heritage, but in a very academic light, because mm-hmm. that was something I could be proud of, right? Like, yes, we can all support the veterans. they They were great. But like, yeah I, I wasn't proud of being a Hmong woman until I realized oh like Hmong, Hmong women have choices Hmong women are strong you know it, it took me a very long time it's so interesting because as Liz's younger sister, like I had
0: such
1: a different experience than Liz and I know I wasn't gonna say Monica like how come you didn't <laughs> like how come you didn't feel the way that Liz felt growing up right and sometimes I wonder if that's like the burden on the older siblings to I don't know to, yeah. to feel that way and which makes it easier for the younger siblings to be like I'm going to be who I am <laughs> as a person embrace my mom. Yeah, that's a luxury they get. <laughs> I I think that is part of it.
0: Um I think another maybe it was also just shifting times even though I'm only like what four years younger than Liz cuz you know we were always in school together at the same time like I I don't know. I I feel like I just embraced my mungness a lot more or, or differently. Cause I, I had, you know, Hmong friends, black and white friends, like we all went to really diverse inner city, like schools. Right. Um, and I was always just around Hmong people and it was easy for me. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I, it just came really easy to me. And then, um, not to say that like, I didn't fight or I wasn't afraid of all the like, Hmong cultural things that, you know, made me fearful to be a Hmong woman too, right? Like having to get married early or, you know, being afraid of like getting pregnant, right? Or, you know, doing the dishes and chores. Like, I will say, you know, even when Liz fought my parents about not doing the dishes, like, I was the one stuck doing the dishes, you know? And I hated that. (laughs) Like, I resented her so much, you know? Because like... (laughs) if Liz didn't do it, then of course, Sam wasn't going to do it. And you know, so I was the next eldest. So my mom and dad would be like, well, your older siblings have homework, like do the dishes. I'm like, well, I fucking have homework too. Like, why do I get to do the fucking dishes? You know? So I think I had like, obviously my own resentment towards Liz and like just Mm -hmm. being Mm -hmm. the middle child. So I, I think that maybe that is also why I embraced the my mongness or more among people or Asian people more than Liz and or maybe I felt like I wasn't, you know, as smart as Liz. So I gravitated toward different things and and I don't know if that meant more among people in my life or like, you know, I was really into sports and didn't do all of the like white people things that Liz did. And maybe that's why. Because I saw that Liz did it all and I hated her for it or I resented her for it. Aww. Um Liz knows this, but you know, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So like I don't know. Maybe that's why. um, But I will say... you guys just have different
2: personalities.
0: Yeah, that too. (laughs) That is true too.
2: (laughs) Monica's very social and Liz is more like, hey, I just need to get this stuff done, you know, like, I just want to take care of my stuff first, so.
0: Yeah, but Liz was social in her own sense, I guess. I don't know. I just, I... Yeah, I, I guess I just took a different route and... But going back to the whole, like is some representation better than none? I I do, I think I'm still a a firm believer in that. Like, even if the the representation isn't right from the get-go, it creates an opportunity to have that conversation, to make it right, right? I think that's where I stand because I learned that earlier on. And like, if without some representation or without some progress, like there's no progress at all. But we want people to do it well the first time. Yeah, we want it to do it right. We want them to do it right and well the first time. But obviously no one is always going to get it right and, and I think that's where like you know I'm a little bit more sympathetic to Brenda Song even though man, yeah, I was one of those people who were like yeah harp on Brenda Song on your status last year but I took a step back and I had to reflect after you know some conversations and like yeah I actually you know I I don't know if I would blame Brenda Song entirely because I do blame Hollywood and maybe she was telling her truth and maybe yeah, she maybe Crazy Rich Asians didn't want to cast her because she was too dark or she was too Southeast Asian. I think I had another issue with that too. Was that like a lot of the people who are casted were not Asian American? They were like Asian Asian people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is also sad and a disservice in that sense. Because what about all the cool Asian American actors and the actresses that we have? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I get it. It was a global film, so whatever. That's a different yeah. conversation. But, you know,
2: I think they also want to stick to some truth of the of their storyline, too. And so they right. wanted to include that, too. And they didn't want to be like whitewash Hollywood. So they right. wanted to include that. So,
1: no, I do want to be sympathetic and I try to be. But I also feel like I like were we all forced to own up to our like our Asian American identity at a really young age? And so for me, I feel like because I was forced to acknowledge and accept it. And go through my own journey of being comfortable with who I am. Like I, I guess I'm expecting people to be like that too, right? And to do yeah. that, especially when they have that platform. Like I I <laughs> I was getting like teary when we were talking about this because I remember when I was in fifth grade, my dad volunteered my mom to um to be like a, you know, like a parent chaperone for a field trip right and she didn't speak any english you guys and i i was transferred to this um to this really good elementary school because we lived in a really poor neighborhood but they bused all of the poor students to across the freeway to a really good school right and i was so embarrassed of like my mom coming you know and sorry guys i'm just getting really emotional but i was so embarrassed to, to have her as a parent chaperone um and all of these, like, Asian-American parish operas were able to buy, like, lunches for the students and to, you know, just, just to have fun with the students, right? And I felt like I, my mom couldn't even do that. And every time I tell this story to Tom, I'm almost like, I don't know why I so cry, you guys. <laughs> I seriously don't know why I so cry, but I don't know. Because you cry. wanted to
3: protect your mom. I'm, I'm with you, right? Like, you you wanted
1: to protect your mom. You know, like, and, and then I just beat myself up for being like embarrassed for feeling this way, and even to de- to this day, I'm like, why do I feel why do I feel bad for feeling bad, <laughs> right? Like, I can't even get over that. Like, I still feel bad to this day. But I think I don't know. Maybe I think that's why, like, I I love my parents like extra hard these days. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I also feel like you know these experiences like just forced me to embrace my mom in some ways, right? Because I'm like, yeah, I'm Asian American, but like, I'm not, like, I didn't grow up in the same ways that these other Asian Americans did. Like, they have college educated parents. They have way nicer things than I am. They live in gated communities, right? So I think for me, like, I was just forced to embrace that and to just use that to my advantage and going to college and working really hard in school so that my parents you know so that i won't be poor forever um but i think that i'm also expecting maybe that's my high expectation of high expectation of asian americans or home americans right to like really embrace that so maybe that's like my own journey of accepting that people are not going to be like that or they have their own journey and and i think i've come around to that and that like yes people have their own journeys of really embracing who they are at the end of the day but maybe i just want more in and, and, the, and them wanting that for themselves too or like owning up to that. Sorry, guys. I'm going to get a tissue. No, it's okay. Thank you for no, sharing. No, thank and, you. And it's,
0: it's great. I, I just really appreciate you sharing. And I think that really struck a chord with all of us in, in our own ways. Because I think we all experienced something like that, right? Just never knowing or never like being embarrassed of our parents. But now understanding that they sacrificed so much and that they, gave, they did their best.
3: Right. Yeah, and yeah, I think maybe that's why
0: they tried their best. And I think maybe that's why, you know, you're so emotional or we get so emotional when we think about those, those moments.
2: Right. And I definitely felt that my, um, you know, with my graduation coming up next month, that is canceled because of COVID-19. <laughs> I wanted to write on my cap for my mom because my mom has never been to school and I am getting my master's in education. And that's something that she has never gotten in her life. And, you know, like I used to be really embarrassed too when um, you know, when she used to sign my papers and my handwriting as a second grader was better than hers. And, you know, like people are like, did you forge that? I'm like, no, I didn't. It's my mom's handwriting, you know? And I used to be so ashamed of that. But as I became a teacher on my journey, I'm like, man, the privilege that I have and this journey is for her. And, you know, like, that's something I wanted to share with my mom. And That was going to be my graduation um, cap, you know, for my mom, because without her, I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't appreciate like this journey the way I do now. And, you know, I mean, you you are right. You know, we have to look at these things and we need to turn it to where it empowers us and move us forward as a community, as and as a person. You know, if you have that platform, use it, you know, that's it. (laughs)
1: Sorry, guys. I-, like- no, no, I don't really okay. know why I always cry when I share this story. But then I've only really told Tong and now everybody. Aww. But <laughs> because it's so hard to like to revisit these memories, because you just want to, I don't know, like, want to forget it. And, yeah, you. you know? just-
3: I think it's okay that you continue to cry. Like I think, I think um, you know what I've learned a lot is we have to forgive ourselves, but also like I, I could see why you are still so hard because. You know, you love your parents so hard that you also want to protect them, right? I was just gonna say. I mean, I I, I I'm guessing you want to protect them because I had a similar scenario happen where I think I'm very embarrassed that I didn't, I wasn't kinder to my dad, mm-hmm. right? And that like I'm still working on like forgiving myself, even though I love him so much. Like, oh, and the I, story. I, I, so sad. <laughs> Did you it that's I mean, it's just no, like, I, I read it so once. Stupid. I read it once in your
0: paper oh. and I was just like, oh, my God, I never knew you did this. And I, I, I like it's very sad.
3: <laughs> so, yes, very sad. I also want to cry thinking about it. You know, I think each of us, like you say, we kind of turn on and off our identities. And I, I also really feel like to be successful, like I in some ways, like probably didn't hang out with the Asian kids because I thought that's what I needed to do to be successful in school. And, and like I wanted to create an, an, another identity for me. So, you know, even when I was in first grade, like I was like number two in our play, um, the little engine that could. Right. I was the red engine that could not. Um, <laughs> and maybe this is why I needed my dad, um, you know, but but so, I mean, we we had our play and then we had our um, our cast party our after party. I I had a crush on this white boy um so I met his family his his grandparents and his mom Monica and dad were there. always they were so proud I know always um and you know and they met like the parent uh, you know the teachers and everything and and everyone showed up and my mom was at work so my dad showed up I think actually with Monica I think Monica yeah. came to see that play um and because my mom was like oh you should bring Monica like it'll be nice um so my dad showed up and he said oh honey you were so good you know, do you want to go home with me? And I was like, no, I don't want to go home with you. Not now. The school is still going on. Um, so I I like rushed them out. I didn't even let them eat any of the snacks at the cast party, you know, because we were told to bring snacks and share. And I was like, here, you guys take some of these and you guys can go. That's okay. I don't need you here because I was so embarrassed to see my parents and I didn't want my crush's family to meet my mom and dad or my to meet my dad. I was so stupid. And then <laughs> We, like, hung out at school for a while and then, like, we, all, we like, all went and we got on the bus and there were, like, three of us and I was, and the bus driver started going. I was like, wait, why are we going? He's like, oh, um, no one else is riding the bus today because everyone went home with their parents after the play. Mm. And I was like, wait, what? Really? I could have done that? And I felt so stupid and sad and embarrassed because I was like, fuck, like, I could have gone home with my dad early and I wouldn't have to sit on the stupid bus <laughs> But I was – I mean, this is what I got for being, like, embarrassed (laughs) and not wanting to be seen with him, right? Like, you have to ride the stupid bus home and you don't get, like, a straight drive home. And I was, like, really sad for myself for being stuck in the damn bus, but also, like, really embarrassed. Like, that hit me. Like, even as a little kid, I was, like, fuck. Like, if only I hadn't done this, like, I wouldn't regret, you know, turning my dad away and making him go home, right? Um, And it was something that I hadn't thought about for a very long time. But – I I mean, my dad's had a lot of like health struggles and I, I've been thinking a lot about like, you know, just how much we love him and maybe, you know, how much I could have loved him more.
1: But you know what, Liz, I really, I really appreciate the part where you were like, you, you're you working on still forgiving yourself. And I think that's what I need to continue to do. Because I just I just can't like forgive myself for all of these things that I said to my parents growing up. And I'm just like, Oh, my gosh, such a bad teenager, teenager saying all of these things, even though like, I wasn't no. entirely bad If you were to compare me to like, you know, other other kids, but I'm also like, gosh, like I, I needed more. I needed to be more compassionate to them because they were doing their best.
2: I think you'll start forgiving yourself when you become a parent. You really do. Because, I mean, like, you know how, like, your parents always say, oh, yeah, watch what you say. Because, you know, when you become a parent, you'll regret it. And, you know, it's so so true. And, you know, I, I felt like I was very defiant as a teenage monk girl you know cuz me and my mom we did not get along at all but you know when i moved away you know like it gave me a lot of space to just think about like a lot of things and i am very appreciative of them and now and we get along a lot better but i think we both needed that space you know she didn't know how to reach me and i didn't know how to let her in you know as as we struggle with all the things that we do and as i become a parent you know i am like I don't know. Like, it's almost like I kind of overly spoiled them with love, you know. And I know that can be very like bad too, you know. But I mean, I'm also very strict with them. But it's also because it's like I have to teach them what love is and how to love if I want to have that relationship with them. And you know, like I was telling, I was like, I will always be your parent, and I'm your friend after that. You know, like that's a rule that my kids they know. You know, it's like it's not always gonna be fun, but we are always gonna do the right things together. And you know, I mean, like. Like, like I said, you learn a lot when you become a parent, all the things that you didn't do correctly, all the things that you wish you could have done, you can do it then. So there's plenty of time to forgive yourself. And yeah, it's a journey still.
0: Yeah, I think as we wrap up, that's probably the biggest takeaway for us, for our listeners, you know, like your your journey and finding yourself or, you know, identifying who you are as Asian Americans or Hmong Americans or what I have you like it's it's a journey and I hope that we give us ourselves enough grace to forgive ourselves like and and to forgive our parents right for you know everything that they did like doing their best even if it wasn't their best in in our eyes at that time but yeah lots of tears thank you all for opening up I I, like just want to cry I know I'm just gonna (laughs) cry for the rest of the uh, yeah um of the time.